0: Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. Hey everyone, Asul Taronis here on another episode of Authors Who Lead. So thrilled today to have our guest, Jane Edgerton Idehen. She's a telecommunications executive with over 17 years of experience in the Nigerian, Liberian, and Ghanaian telecommunications market. She holds an engineering degree from the University of Nigeria, an MBA from Warwick Business School in the UK, and she is an executive educate, has executive education from Harvard Business School and Yale School of Management. Her passion is seeing women like herself fulfilling their purpose, growing their careers, as she has a history of promoting girls in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Her book, Be Fearless, Give Yourself Permission to Be You, is here to be discussed. Jane, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Azul. Thank you. I am excited to be on your show. Super excited.
0: Wonderful. What's really great when I get to talk to authors is they all remember that moment where they thought, you know, maybe I should write a book. For some people, it's a a nudge in a dream for others. It's just this long yearning or maybe even somebody else said, Hey, I think you should write about this. Where did your book journey began before we dive into the content of your book?
1: My journey started. I have a coach or I still have a coach or I have a career coach, which is normal when you're an executive or on that career journey. So we would have these sessions and she would tell me things like, you know, you have so much experience you could share with the younger generation. And I would always tell her I was too busy. I was too busy to do that. But I had one of these long breaks, you know, one of this long work breaks. I, I was just bored. I didn't know what to do. So I took her advice and I just wrote. I wrote the first, I published it on LinkedIn. People loved it. I got so many comments, you know, after a couple of pieces and everybody's like, do you want to put it into a book? And I think that's how the idea first, you know, came to me. I never saw myself as a writer. I just felt I love to read. I do read. I love to read a lot but I didn't see myself as a writer. But when I kept getting all those feedbacks, you know, somehow it just, uh, you know, it's like you're speaking to you, you know, something just connected. And I told him, I said, yes, I should do it. And my daughter became the news for writing that book or for writing my book. That's, so that's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's great. You know, and since your book speaks to women so powerfully, um, and I love the title, Be Fearless, Give Yourself Permission to Be You. It really invokes some sort of, permission to stand up, to take claim to something. In your book, you talk about in your early childhood life where you had to really wrestle away some norms of your culture, of the gender, to be able to be successful as a woman. Where did that early spark of resilience come from?
1: If I really wanted to place a finger, I I can't really say, oh, at this moment. I think it was more like a journey for me. Because, you know, you take little bits, you win little, what I call it, you win little battles, then you get more confidence to be more confident and go for the bigger ones. So resilience for me, I saw it as journey. So I think one of the big milestones, I would say that, you know, was the first big milestones I told myself, aha, this makes sense, was just getting into school or getting to high school and it's time to go to college or university, you know, depending, the British college, university. And, you know, Everybody around me just didn't believe that dream of you can do this. You know, I wanted to study engineering and people thought, oh, nah, that is not feminine. You know, you get all this, um, you get all this feedback from those those around you. It's almost like you're seeking validation and permission from them to decide. And I actually kind of gave up that dream just for them. So I did go ahead and I looked for something, anything that sounded easy. You know, I'll just take Mm -hmm. it. As with engineering, you had to spend more time in university. I think you had to spend five years. So I just found something you could do for four years and you'd be out. You know, I walked into school and I saw my name on that board. I was like on the top of the list. And I'm like, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, because they thought I wasn't smart enough or, you know, they have all this perception of perceived ideas of, you know, because of your gender, you should do this or you should, put, you know, you should take this part. You should, you know, just, This is what what the world can offer you. And I think that was the first realization that, no, this was the wrong journey, and I'm going to change it. So I and walked out. It took me like a year, but I did change, and I moved to the course of the major that I wanted, which was engineering. But I think that was the big milestone of me seeing myself really push at something with so much resilience, just going at it, even when those around me do not necessarily have to buy into that. And I still keep that lesson. You know, it was like tucked away in my heart.
0: <laughs> right. What What's so amazing is that in your book, you do describe this sort of constant questioning and pushing past your own limitations. I think you describe it as as being caged, like a bird that was caged. Uh, one of my famous, favorite memoirs in all the world is Dr. Maya Angelou, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And it really resonated with me, the same sort of feeling of being trapped or caged or something kept behind bars, who wasn't free to be. Tell us a little about that analogy about being like a bird that's caged and how you felt the need to break free. I
1: think I'm beginning to realize, the analogy for me is like when we give our power away, You know, as human beings, sometimes we're not aware, we're probably not self-aware, or depending on how we see ourselves, we tend to give our power away, our power to make decisions, our power to determine our lives, our goals, our dreams. Once we give that away, it could be to, you know, what the environment says, culture, other people in our lives, even sometimes loved ones like partners, like in the case of the story I tell in the book, you almost seem like you're caged. You're caged by that fear of what it could cost you to give this up, to try something new, to change that mindset. That becomes the bondage you are faced with. The moment you can break free of that, and it's not, it's not easy sometimes, like, you know, the analogy I draw in the book. Sometimes you're done and you're just broken, literally broken by the process. But the energy comes from the fact that the door is open and you can walk away. You're no longer caged. You're no longer mm. held by that mindset that it has to be this way.
0: Let's talk about that mindset shift that you decided to make. One, to go to college, but also to to go not just to university, but to decide to change a major into a really male-dominated career. You talk a lot about the, the peers that surrounded you, like people when you're in circle, if they are uh, cooks or janitors or nannies, security guards, et cetera, you start to perceive your world in that small space. When you decided to take a leap, what was the response to other women around you? Did you have a network of women who were championing you, helping you, or were you finding yourself stepping out alone often?
1: Sometimes it was alone. You know, there's a part in book I talk about is lonely at the top. Sometimes those decisions are lonely because I knew when I was taking that decision, actually the support I have was was from men. I had some male folks just about my age. that were like my core reading bodies. They were mostly men because they were trying to study engineering as well. I think they, it was just that small close group that gave me that almost gave me the permission. That's the support I got. But the the group I expected to get validation from, like, you know, your family, loved ones that are older, I couldn't get it from that group. So I also mentioned about, you know, seeking support, not necessarily have to be from people from your gender. And that's what I've realized in life. Sometimes you have to look for your tribe. It's so key to look for your tribe. Don't be blind to gender and don't be, you know, I, I say that a lot. Because your tribe might not be tied to gender. It could just be people that are dreamers like you, people that believe or share the same mindset as you. And that will be important for your journey. But it will be lonely because, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to get it from people you expect to get it from. And sometimes the decision itself, because of the price, it's almost like as lonely because you're making a decision not knowing. There's so much uncertainty. It's like you're banking on yourself. Or you're trusting on your instinct that okay I'll make this work, but there are no guarantees, and that process in itself can be lonely. It can be lonely. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you you expressed that you found mentors in many places, and you talked about in your book about this one American woman who was the the vice president of HR, who was much older than you, and her advice really was really inspiring and yet confusing at some regards to probably other young people, young women in STEM who who probably were surprised by the fact that that woman said then your next career goal or move upward will be 90% network and 1% talent. How have you found that to be true over the time? And how do you help young women understand that this is an important understanding?
1: In so many ways, it is true. Probably in the manner she delivered it was a bit more shocking for me. (laughs) Right. I not ready for that message at that time because my expectations are different. You know, if the listener is not ready, Oh, well, I wasn't listening for that. Let me put it that way. I think I was expecting something different. I was expecting she's going to be this night in shiny, armor, save the day, give me the job of my dreams, you know. But then she gave me something valuable, but probably <laughs> believe it wasn't right. And I see this a lot to young women because I do a lot of speaking, speaking engagements. I go to schools, universities. I speak to a lot of young women. And I tell them because sometimes we're so good in the hard skills because that's why we go to school. You now, the core academic hard skills we learn. And in the softer skills, we just absorb whatever we see in the environment, you know, what we have been taught, the culture, what it tells us. And those things are so key because to really, to grow in your career, to grow in the workforce, you need more than what you get from the streets or from your culture. And I'll give a simple example. I always tell the women, that's why the networking is so good because some It's not all about talent. With network, you learn. You get a support group. With network, you get information you don't have access to. It's so easy for us young women, especially in this part of the world, to be so, you know, dependent on, you know, what I call, I don't want to say men, but, you know, the idea of a male role model being the lead and you have to take the back seat. And it's in simple things like going on a date, you know, The guy has to ask you first. In getting married, he has to ask for your hand in marriage. You know, you're so much in the you're so much in the back seat. You know, you can't be in the in the driver's seat of your life. Somebody else is always setting the tone, setting the pace, telling you what to do next. You're always waiting for someone to make a decision on your behalf. But that's not what you get in the workforce. And some of these things they don't teach you at school. And I think some of these things you can get if you have a good network. Because to grow your careers, which a lot of ambitious women want to do in the workforce, people expect you to be assertive. People expect you to ask. People don't want you to shy away and hide away, waiting for somebody to ask on your behalf. And sometimes it's a root shock. It was for me, you know, initially getting into the workforce, it was a root shock, but that's one of the good things of, you know, having good networks or good mentors is that, you know, they could highlight those things for you because sometimes they're easy. When it's coming from that kind of a relationship then, being taught. I don't know if you can teach those things because it's almost like you have to experience it and then you can understand how to explain it.
0: Right. That's a good point. You also mentioned, what I thought was a really good analogy or at least a very good thought was there are no enemies, there are only divergent interests. And you talk about the situation with the boss. Tell us a little bit about that moment and why now you see that that people aren't necessarily in the corporate world out to get you. They just have different perspectives. Tell us about that.
1: Different perspective. You're just right as a different perspective. So there was I, you know, I had this boss whom I thought, you know, we work so well together. But I start to observe that, you know, I seem to kind of be missing out on the promotions. You know, I get past several times and you start to wonder what's going on. I haven't called, you know, you know, I called my boss out, you know, wanted to have a chat with him. You know, what's going on? You know, what do I have to do, you know? What am I missing? You know, tell me, you know, I was just trying to do all the right things. And to me, because at the end of the day, I left that organization. I just felt this is so wrong when I'm being passed for promotion and people that I feel are not even, you know, they don't have the kind of skill sets I have or they're not qualified. But sometimes people I trained, you know, younger people, you trained and mentored and they come and they get the promotion even above you. So you start to feel something is not right. So I decided to take the jump and, and I'm leaving, you know. And I left. Of course, you'll be bitter because you felt like I so trusted this boss and he did all this. But I, I came back to that organization, I think two years later. And as the story will go, that boss became one of my biggest sponsors and champions when I came back. Mm-hmm. I was going for a, a management role at some time. He was literally pushing my agenda. He was using his own power in the organization to push and sponsor me through. Initially, I was a bit shocked, you know. It was a bit of a a conflict to my idea of who he was in my head. To me, he was the bad guy, you know. Why is the bad guy all of a sudden trying to be the good guy? But that's when I realized, because later on, I realized that one of his goals was to promote diversity in the organization. He was heading the the diversity and inclusion board, and he had a target and he had to deliver. So he was not determined to look for female talent. So that's when it occurred to me, you know, that, Sometimes we just have to change the perspective. At that time, I wanted a promotion. Probably his agenda was different and I didn't fit into that agenda. Now I wanted a promotion. His agenda is different. It fits in and he wants to push me because he aligns with his agenda. So you tend to see it differently if you, if you change your perspective. It's not a me against them and me against us. It's just about of mutual interest. Once those interests align, you tend to get the perfect scenario. And you see that a lot, even outside the workforce. You know, you see that in politics. You see that in other places. Once you have mutual interest, sometimes you can have enemies working together for a common goal because they share mutual interest.
0: Right. You know, in your book, you give so much wisdom to young women who might not have the same opportunities yet that you have. Where did that journey begin? When did you start realizing that you could speak to women? in public or or in a forum to help them understand some of the lessons that you learned along the way?
1: So my first take of like literally speaking, like having a public speak was some serendipitous moment when I was like a, a high school student. You know, I was bored, nothing to do. I was starting with a group of uh, classmates and it was a prep. It was a boarding school. So prep time, you have to study, but you can make noise. But I was really bored, nothing to do. So when I studied, I would try to rehash what I've learned. You know, try to talk to the class. Of course, they enjoyed it, and you know, once, twice, three times. But I found that when I got into college, into university, it was just a method for me to learn. It was easier to learn by teaching. That was one of the best ways I could learn. I would spend a lot of time studying, in trying to rehash or to teach someone. I learned more, or I was forced to learn more. You know, because when they asked me questions, I had to go figure it out. And I thought, oh, this is a good method. So I used that a lot. At some point, I was literally teaching the entire class of engineering, which is like a, a class of 400 students, you know, like all arms of engineering, mechanical engineering, electronic engineering. So it, it became like a strength, you know, because the more I did it, the more I became good at it. And I think that was the first time I just realized this is a strength, you know, standing in a, class, in a, standing in a hall with over 400 students and you were the one teaching them. And most of them were men. Like literally just 10% women and everybody thought you were doing an amazing job. And I think that's how it progressed. Towards the end of my year in university, you know, I started to have the passion with a good friend of mine. Now she's late, Tina Clementina. I started to have the passion to change the narrative I've given. And I did that by joining an institution called the IEEE, the Institution of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. It's an international body. And one of the things they wanted to do was promote women, you know, to go into STEM, young girls to go into STEM. And I could so relate with that because that was my journey. Because, you know, for a long time, I just felt I was fed a different narrative. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And now I saw myself doing it. And I thought the only thing I could do is give back. Tell the young girls, you can do it too. I'm doing it. Who says, you know, it's got nothing to do with your physical attributes and you know, being strong physically is, is your mental power, your intellectual power. So I definitely, I was aligned to that goal. So I would go around. We were having a lot of speaking engagements and I loved it. I just love the fact that we'll go talk to these young girls, just see the fire lit up in their eyes, knowing that, wow, she's doing it. So we can do it too. That I think those, those moments for me were priceless. And I think that's how they've evolved. You know, now maybe I have bigger platforms. I speak to. Or different age ranges but that's how it definitely evolved to see myself speaking you know larger platforms or larger stages
0: right for those people who don't know what your life is like in your hometown because you know now you work at an executive suite you have this career you're speaking you're an author you a tedx speaker you have all these wonderful things but your humble beginnings is what really can inspire so many people because it wasn't that it was handed to you on a platter. You worked really hard to get here. What advice would you have to anyone who maybe hasn't been able to step free from their situation because they have maybe limited role models? What would be the first piece of advice you'd give them?
1: Oh, yeah, limited role models. I think one I will say, I always say that please protect your dreams. You know, it's so easy to give up because you don't have anybody around you you feel you can look up to. And you just felt like it can be done. It's so easy to do that. But if you could protect it, it means, you know, the people you associate with, you know, the way you get your information, what you feed yourself mentally, you know, the information you feed yourself. If you could just hang in there, the tendency is that you would attract like-minded people. Maybe not at the time you first realize it, that you need someone, you need a role model, you know, with time. But if you just hang in there, because I could see lots of times in my life, you know, I was just there waiting for who is going to figure this out or who is going to point me in the right, right direction, but just keep doing what you're doing and you tend to attract it. It's just, I don't know, I could say it was a universal principle, but it just seems to happen that way. So I would say protect your dream,
0: Mm, it It means
1: everything, you know, if it means resilience, you hang in there and protect that dream.
0: That's great. I love that idea of that concept of protecting your dream. It has to be guarded and nurtured as well. If you had advice for anyone who was thinking that they might want right, to write a book, as you said in the beginning, most of the authors that I speak to often say, I don't think of myself as a writer, and yet they're published authors like yourself. What yeah. advice would you give somebody else who's just beginning this journey thinking, maybe I should write a book? How could you help them who are stuck in the wonder?
1: You're right. Most of us just feel like, no, I don't think I, <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I think what I will say is that everybody has a story. You know, I said in the book, if you can find the why, sometimes that is what you need to keep you going. You have a story. We all have a story inside us. Just find out the why. When I found my why, it was easy. I knew I had to do this for my daughter. I really wanted to pass that information to her. And my daughter for me was symbolic. She was my youngest self. She was a woman like me. A young woman like me, you know, Jane 20 years ago, Jane 30 years ago. I really wanted to share that story with them because I feel that's the way I could help them. So for me, I would tell anybody thinking of writing, just find the why. You definitely have a story to tell. If you can find your why, that keeps you going.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. That's definitely the first exercise I ask people is why do you want to do this? What? What do you hope this book to do for you? Because if you don't have a strong enough why, you won't finish. Too won't many win. people start and don't finish because they don't know where they're going.
1: It could be a tough process. You know, you probably have to give up a lot to do it and it's going to require a lot from you. So your why will give you clarity and your why will help you when you need that resilience to go through it. Ah, definitely, it's not going to be an easy process. you just write a okay. no.
0: Right. I often tell people, if you don't have a strong enough why, You'll convince yourself that the words aren't good enough. You'll convince yourself that it's not done yet. You'll convince yourself that, oh, maybe I started the wrong book. But if your why is strong, none of those things will get in your way. You won't be worried about it being perfect because you realize that I'm not perfect. So how could I create something perfect? I just must do the work I can do. Your why drives you to that direction. So I really want to inspire others who have written a book or decided to write a book and are at the beginning stages to sit down. Before you move any further and write out your why, why do I want this book? What would it do for me if I finished it? What can I imagine? Because the truth is on the other side of anything you accomplish that's big like this is this wonderful, powerful new you. And I hope all of you go out and get the the book, Be Fearless, Give Yourself Permission to Be You. And I think this is a great way to sort of kind of transition here into this moment. Jane, it's been so great to have you. I'm going to share your your book on our uh, show notes so go to authors lead.com and look up this episode of the podcast so you can learn more about jane the great things she does for her community the way she serves and helps uh, young women in the stem industries and i hope you get inspired to write your book jane thank you so much for being a guest here
1: so much. such an honor to be on your platform
0: thank you for listening again to another episode of authors who lead we appreciate you being here and we hope you subscribe So you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author.